fan. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Well, the question early is how much blubbering will they be on today's program? This should, by all rights, be our last day at the great Minnesota get-together. The uh, second Sunday, historically, has been my last day. Once upon a time, we did the occasional Labor Day show, but not for quite some time. And um, I can't believe the uh, great Minnesota get-together is over. felt like it barely began. And now we have to uh, hope that by 2021, there'll be some return to State Fair-related normalcy. Brianne, were you? do you classify yourself as a religious State Fair devotee, bored with it, overrated, kind of like it? Uh, where were you on that mix? I would say kind of a reluctant, very... Uh... <laughs> I was very serious about it. I went every year up until about last year or so. You got burned so you got burned out a little bit by going every year forever. And this I, this past year it was kinda like, okay, I gotta back away. I think I had some responsibilities here that I yeah. had to take care of, but it was it was a fair compromise to make. And yeah. Yeah. But I was as a little little teary eyed thinking about that as I drove in that oh, it's Labor Day weekend. That's the end of the state it fair. It snuck up on me too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's been on the calendar. It's not like it, it obviously it's not like they changed the calendar on us, but uh, in in any case, we'll do the best we can to fill that void for the next two hours. And then it's, speaking of emotional, it's the final scheduled cake show in a while. Um, because starting next week, we've got, if all goes according to plan, Vikings football. We'll have a one-hour edition of sermons at 9. In fact, uh, my sources say, I'm not ha- real pleased about this, because I historically have loved the buffer that has existed between sermons and Packer preview, Buffer is gone. Right next to it now. 8 a.m. starting a week from today, leading right into us, a natural lead-in. There's no question about that. The only thing that that could change that is if the Big Ten reverses field and there's actually a Big Ten season at some point, and then you could go back to uh, Gopher Football Sunday, where Garzi reviews the... um, most recent gopher victory, assuming. I mean, I'm going to assume it's a victory at this point. We may never lose again. But uh, that's the plan starting next week. And then uh, 9 to 10 tomorrow, uh, next Sunday will be sermons. And that will lead into uh, Vikings football Sunday. 
previewing the noon start. It is here. It is upon us. So much so that I invited former Vikings coach Mike Tice to be a part of the proceedings today, and he will join us at um, 10.30. 10.30 our time. And that's early for him because uh, he is still based out in Seattle area in the West Coast. So uh, Tice at 10.30 to help us preview. Uh, technically, I guess the uh, NFL season opener is Thursday night, and uh, then the Vikings start on Sunday. We're going to get into a lot of Viking stuff today before this program is done. No question about that. We're going to get into the uh, the pain that uh, Jimmy Butler has inflicted not just on the Milwaukee Bucks, but I feel safe to say also on the many, many, many uh, Minnesota Timberwolves fans as well. We'll give you more details on that. We spent some time on it Friday, and then the story got even richer or more devastating, depending on your uh, point of view. Bradshaw and Brian Inbox has been uh, rebooted, booth at KFAN.com. This is also traditionally, for a lot of people, the final cabin weekend, although I'm wondering if in the COVID-19 winter those rules have changed as well. Because for a lot of people, their children, if they have children, are still largely uh, stuck with distance learning. And so maybe that uh, still allows for greater flexibility. So maybe people have expanded the cabin season because it does give them someplace else to go. It makes them feel less stuck in one location. I don't know. But for a lot of people, um, historically, this is it. And by the way, based on the temperatures that are going to blow in later in the week, did I see a high Monday of 50 or 52 or something? Is that right? 58. 58, okay. And then uh, I think it, it's supposed to moderate later in the week. Um 80 today and some more rain, and then it's supposed to change pretty dramatically. Uh, people also tell me, I missed it, I must have slept through it, that uh, hail the size of canned hams fell in much of the metropolitan area last night. Was your hail experience frightening? The only thing that woke us up, we got a bolt of lightning that, um, I don't know how close it hit, I assumed... We had a lot of trees in our yard, and I assumed uh, many of them have over the years taken some significant hits and damage. Um, that this lightning was like right next to the house. It was uh, Wrigley, the uh, the Wonder Dog, went nuts, just lost her mind um, for a bit. But we weren't far behind, man. It was a. It was a. It sounded more like an explosion than just a lightning. So we had more of an experience with that, although it was quick, and then it didn't seem to last. But a lot of people are reporting some significant uh, hail. Did you get a lot of hail where you live? Um, like you said, I must have been sleeping with yeah. visions of sugar poems in my head because <laughs> I have no recollection of this at all. Yeah, so. I've seen some very, very uh, vivid uh, photos that seem to indicate the uh, the hail situation was uh, pretty extensive. So, um be a combo platter program with Tice included at 1030. I'm looking at a headline from a week ago today, frankly, heading into sermons. We may have even read this headline on the air. Dateline Detroit. Twins fall from first to third after getting swept in doubleheader at Detroit. 
Twins offense gets two home runs from Nelson Cruz, but again, little else against the Tigers. And it actually got worse because the Twins lost that Sunday. They got swept in Detroit. They came home licking their wounds and lost their the first game of a three-game series to the White Sox. And we were sitting here at six, the longest losing streak in years for your Minnesota Twins. We hadn't last year lost as many as five in a row. And it was less than a week ago we lost our sixth straight. Since then, well, there's no stopping us. Clear evidence, once again, that the game of baseball is a wonderful elixir for whatever ails you. In other words, if you're playing badly or losing unluckily, whatever the case may be, you do not have to wallow in it. Not for long. Not the way we would go week to week in football and even any of the other sports where you're not playing every day. It's the beauty of baseball. You can come out of it, and you come out of it fast, and the Twins have. They have followed a six-game losing streak with a five-game winning streak, and now they have the opportunity, at least, to sweep the Tigers, the team that swept them a week ago. Now, there are two more games in this series, I believe, because this series goes into Monday. It's called a wraparound series in the business. But we get it done, yes, in fact, the last two games... We've gotten it done down a run in the ninth. Last night, we not only tied it in the ninth, we scored another run to win it in the ninth. And the day before, we tied it in the ninth. Or that was, I guess, Friday. Yeah, because we were still in the air. And then we uh, we won it in extras. So whatever works, it's working uh, for your Minnesota Twins. And, of course, it ended with the blazing speed of Byron Buxton, who it appeared almost deliberately tried to take something off his swing to get bat on ball, but also make it less sharply hit to the shortstop, attempting to go to his right. And that's all Buxton needs. With the uh, winning run at third base, all he has to do is beat the throw to first, and he did easily. It was not even close. And the Twins get their fifth straight 4-3. to three. Now, we're still in third. But it has, um, in terms of the records, because White Sox is the White Sox are doing, once they leave us, continue to do well. Cleveland won again yesterday. So I believe we're a half a game out of, uh, basically a half game separates the top three teams in the, American American League Central. So um, the offense is still not exactly humming, I wouldn't say. Not exactly purring, but it's getting a little bit more clutch. Pitching uh, has been good, and the uh, twin uh, the uh, Tigers bullpen has just been awful down the stretch of the last uh, several games as well. I will also mention that we have kitted, as Josh Donaldson missed the better part of a month, actually it was a month, 
there were a number of people who wanted us to change the uh, the bit to how long would Donaldson milk it. We chose not to. But there is another similarity between Joe and Josh that was made readily apparent yesterday in the Come From Behind victory. Let's discuss that. Let's get into some uh, emails via the Bradshaw and Bryant inbox that has been rebooted. Booth, B-O-O-T-H at KFN.com. And let's also remind you that it is officially, as of today, Packer Week. Think about it. It's finally here. So I'm going to looking for phone calls and emails about what one might expect or what you're expecting of your purple. Do you have any fear and loathing early, given your corners are so young? Apparently talented, apparently feisty, apparently promising, but young, inexperienced. And they walk into the belly of the beast having to take on Aaron Rodgers, who um, may not be what he once was, but is still Aaron Rodgers. 800-320-5326 or 651-989-5326. Those are the numbers. The Bradshaw Bryan Inbox, once again, booth at KFA. The Fan. Sunday Sermons is brought to you by GTR Roofing. A recent twins comebacks over the weekend started by a guy they acquired largely for his hitting aggressiveness and power. But he proves once again that there are, even in 2020, many ways to improve your team's chances offensively or to be a factor offensively. And uh, that is by working a count and leading off an inning by getting on base with a walk. Donaldson did that again last night, and it led to all sorts of uh, good things. Not saying anything that the average, uh, the hardcore ball guy doesn't know, but it was uh, vivid evidence that Josh Donaldson knows the strike zone in a way that Joe Maurer once did. They do share that. Donaldson's a better power hitter, of course, but... Um, one of the things we were talking about a week ago, in fact, one of the things that I think the manager brought up was a belief that we can't wait around for the long ball. We can't r- wait around for that one hit. We need to, we do need to start getting a few more people on base. And it sounds as if Josh Donaldson, who had was still out at that point, I think he returned to the lineup, was it Wednesday, got the message. Not that Donaldson needs it because... He's always been, or often been, a very uh, patient hitter. I think he walked over 100 times last year. And it, I think it's further proof that a player can have value if he picks his spots. Me, I'm an Earl Weaver guy. I still prefer aggressive hitters who want to make the biggest uh, impact by hitting a three-run home run. But the fact of the matter is, there's an art to challenging pitchers who don't have good control and making them get the ball over the plate 
and getting on base any way you can. And it has worked both times. In fact, I think in both games, Donaldson immediately was lifted for a pinch runner. And that was also uh, successful. So you're seeing, and you saw Donaldson with a with a key two-run dong as well. I believe, Was it a solo or two-run? I think it was a two-run as well. But uh, never underestimate the importance of uh, getting on base. And Twins could still use more of that. In fact, you could make the argument that that's still what Buxton needs to get. Buxton's speed was dazzling. Everybody's been raving about uh, the fact that there is no other hitter in baseball who beats out that ground ball to the shortstop's right. But I'd still like to see... I think he's batting about 230, 240. I very much would like to see... And I know he can... You know, he he's he's shown some power. But I'd, I'd really like to see... When you see that, again, that kind of speed, you say, man, oh, man, if you're not going to be able to become a 300 hitter, then uh, get on base more. Because we see just how dangerous that can be over and over again. In any case, Donaldson perhaps at the right time, making his presence felt. And look, as I mentioned, there's no... Um, we've been talking about this for weeks. The Strib had a headline on it today. Despite how closely the three teams are bunched up, um, there is no real drama in terms of postseason because they're all going to make the postseason. The Twins, Cleveland, and the White Sox most assuredly are. Tigers had hopes of it. They were starting to think maybe it could happen. They may have hit the wall. We'll see how they respond today and tomorrow. They still have a chance to make this at least a competitive series. And the games have been competitive, but um, they have to be very devastated with the way they have blown uh, late leads as well. So uh, Donaldson's value, and if we look ahead to the postseason, a walk in a Postseason game can be just as significant as a hit, depending on the circumstances of putting the other team off balance. And um, it did hit me. I'm going, wow, this guy, he does know the plate just as... I mean, Joe was absurd how well he understood the strike zone. And Donaldson has that same sort of knowledge. It's very clear if you just watch him. He almost never uh, swings at a ball that is that is outside of the uh, of the strike zone. Booth at KFAN.com, uh, are you off the ledge on the Twins? Or were you ever on the ledge? Or did you think that the doom scrollers among us had um, overstated the Twins' issues at uh, at that point? 800-320-5326 or 651-989-5326. Either of those numbers will indeed work. Um, there's also a sidebar to yesterday's game that I want to mention that I think has a little bit of talkability. I put it under the classification of it all depends on whose ox is being gored. And it is related to um, well, let's see if I can get to to the details. Sano had a prodigious tape measure home run 414 feet off the second deck. And that, the Twins still trailed after that one, but it was obviously, it helped get the Twins going. 
And apparently, something that had occurred earlier in the, uh, or in a previous appearance between that hitter and that pitcher, um, entered into things. I'll just read you from the Phil Miller story. This was, um, as I said, hit uh, 414 feet off the second deck off of uh, Joe Jimenez. And um, reading from the strip piece, watching was a point of contention. Oh, well, there's a quote from Rocco. You see Buck do things that you don't see from anyone else. It's amazing to watch. Of course, Buck is Buxton. Watching was a point of contention just a couple of innings earlier when Sano faced a pitcher who said he said it taunted him last August at Detroit after striking him out to end the game. He struck me out with a slider in the dirt and he told me, get dot 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 out of here. I told Nelly Cruz, hey, next time I face him, I'm going to crush him. I'm going to do the same thing. I hit a homer. I'm going to pimp it the same way he did to Nelly and me. And, of course, again, 12 months later, Sano gets his chance in the seventh. Twins down at that point, 3-1. Slider left in the middle of the plate. Sano just demolishes the pitch, tosses his bat, stands. Slowly, very slowly, circling the bases as the pitcher seethed. He's not supposed to get mad, you know. You pimped it. So get ready for the pimp, too. Um, it continues to be my biggest gripe. with players, more modern, new-age ball guys, what do they all say? They say, well, some of them say, relax, loosen up. Baseball's way too constipated. Shows of emotion, we need more of them, not less. We need to connect better to the kids. The kids love emotion. The kids love that sort of guess you could say, over-the-top drama. And I've said, okay. I I don't totally disagree. I think if you have it every play, it, it'll get more tiresome than you think. That was, for a while, one of the problems in football, I think. Uh, when a, you know, a receiver would flex. Well, better, I guess I could say, a defensive back would flex after delivering a hard hit on a receiver who catches a 16-yard pass for a first down on third and 14. And you go, you're flexing because it was a hard hit. They got the first down. They got a new set of downs. But I can live with that change, except that players aren't consistent about it. Guess what? It all does depend on whose ox is being gored. If your guy is emotional... If your guy shows a little extra edge, if your guy mouths something, then it's it's just him. He's just being him. He's having fun. Their guy does it. We're going to remember that. And then we're going to turn the tables on him, and we're going to pimp him back. Uh, you remember that there was a, a battle that goes on that went on between uh, Sergio Romo and the... Uh, the Kansas City Royals. This was just, I think, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. And 
there was some bitterness, shall we say, about what appeared to be, um, well, Solaire gets called out on strikes, objects to the call, and apparently Romo says something like, keep talking, keep talking to Solaire. And you see Romo. I mean, Romo is extremely dramatic, demonstrative, and I'm not here to rip it. But what I'm here to say is that we tend to view it differently. Now you, the, I know people can say, well, there are degrees. There's One thing is to just be emotional. Another is when you speak directly to the person you just struck out or just hit the home run off of. There are degrees. And that is probably true, but I think it's really all of the same piece. Our guy does it. I don't know why anybody would necessarily take offense. Just being emotional. Their guy does it. We're going to remember it. And I'm fine with it if there just would be a, a little bit of consistency with it. And what tends to happen is if you're the team that loses, you're bitter. You're grumpy. You're not as interested in accepting the notion that the player and the other team is simply expressing joy and maybe even a little competitive extra But you completely turn it around, and now it's, and maybe it legitimately had some impact on what Sano did. My guess is that pitch in that place, Sano could have crushed, regardless of whether there had been any kind of history between the two. But um, we're once again left with what's been my biggest complaint is that there's a, a tremendous lack of consistency among the part of uh, players and fans on when, hey, let's loosen up a little bit. Let's have some fun a little bit. No real harm done. It's just being competitive. Except when we're on the wrong side of it, and then as you're showing me up, you're making me look bad. I don't like to be made to look bad. And that kind of played out. I I was amused by that again uh, last night. More important issue, bottom line is, Twins have, uh, for the moment, most assuredly righted the ship if you felt like it needed writing, and I think it did. We did a DEFCON chart that went from, you know, DEFCON 1 is nuclear to DEFCON 5, which is the least ready state. I put the uh, team at DEFCON 3 after losing that opening game to the White Sox. Guardsy, of course, panicked, overreacted. He had us at 2, which I thought was a little excessive. Uh, but we're back. We've got DEFCON. We've been able to move it back to five, I think, very easily by this little stretch of baseball. And, um, you know, the whole goal the rest of the way really isn't, I mean, ultimately it's about making the playoffs, but we all know they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, now at this point, I think the goal is to uh, go in, if not, I don't know, you have to go in as hot as possible, but as prepared as possible in a place where you feel good, Who's that checking in? Oh, it's Tice. You know what? Let's break. I'm late. I just realized I blew it by an hour. Tice isn't 1030. He's 930. And now he's texting with a question mark going, where I got up at 730 Pacific time. Where's the call? We're going to get him. On the fan.
never see you again. Like all the good things, it had come to an end. But tonight, out of nowhere, you appear like a dream. It's like no time apart. It's a sweet feeling I hear so Maybe we'll have Tyson, maybe we won't. Um, he's insisting, he's given us a phone number that uh, Brianne has tried now three times, and it keeps saying, unless there's a problem on our end with our phone system suddenly, are we are we using the line we usually use? It's the only thing I can try. Because uh, now I just got a missed call to my phone at that same number. So I'm wondering if maybe we've got a phone issue on our end as well. Um, and we'll double check. So the idea, hopefully, is we asked Tice to call the hotline. Apparently, he thinks he's going to charge him somehow, and so he won't do it. So um, there's nothing else because he just called me. Why don't you call? Can you? Did you try calling him on your cell? Yeah, she. Uh, Brianne's going to try to get this thing done. We apologize for the delay. I don't have any idea why it is uh, suddenly this complicated to just. You know, uh, talk to a guest via the old-fashioned cell phone line. I had originally um, mistakenly thought that he was going to join us at 10.30, but the plan was actually 9.30, and now we're running a little bit behind schedule. We will talk plenty of Vikings the rest of the way. No question about that. Uh, We'll mix in some Twins discussion as well. We'll get to some more Jimmy Butler-related pain as the... um, It's a stunning, I mean, rarely is anything stunning happen this early in the NBA playoffs, but um, the Milwaukee Bucks, the uh, top seed, are on the brink of elimination, and I believe the word is the Greek freak is questionable to play in Game 4. Miami has won the first three games of that series, and um, in fact, I don't think Miami's lost yet in the postseason. That's how good they have been. And, of course, the guy leading the way, the guy who has been uh, sort of the the star of the show to this point, is a former member of the Minnesota Timberwolves. His name is uh, Jimmy Butler. And uh, we'll give you more details about all of that. Um, doesn't work from your phone either, you're saying. Well, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Well, I'm going to try to text Tice here. We'll do an on-air production just to see... Uh, and Tice says, call my cell. Well, I'm on the air now, Mike. I mean, I here, let me see. Uh, oh, um, all right. Here's, um, if you come, can you come in here and I'll give you the other, other. Uh, he's given me another number because he admits now his issue, his, maybe he didn't pay the bill, and I'll hand you my phone with the other number below it for Brianne. It's a 952 number, Brianne. It's the, it's the second one on there, and he wants us to try that. And eventually, maybe we can. Uh, I'll tell you what, Tice better be good with all this big buildup. But the uh, season, of course, is a week away. And we look forward to that. And we said, well, you know, let's mix in Ticey every once in a while to talk National Football League. Now that indeed we're ready for, uh, I was about to say real games. We haven't had any preseason games as well. So we'll try another number and to see if we can get the uh, the head coach. Bradshaw and Brian inbox is Booth, B-O-O-T-H at KFAN.com. If you have um, an observation you would like to offer, or maybe even a, even a question 
for the former Vikings head coach, Mike Tice, who these days is uh, out west, continues to be out west in in, uh, in the Seattle area, although he occasionally, I think, makes a trip back here into the uh, the Twin Cities as well. 651-989-5326 is also a place to reach us, 800-320-5326. Did, did you forget to pay the bill, or what, what what's, what's going on? I can't believe it. I'm thinking you're just a dumb dumb for calling that other number, and then I figured, oh, let me just try to call my studio number on my phone, and I called it, and it says it doesn't work. <laughs> Unbelievable! And I swear my bill is paid, auto pay. Okay, so. <laughs> all right. Well, like I said, I here's how bad I screwed up today. Before the show, I said you'd be on at ten thirty. Then I go, you know, let me check my texts, and I see you say, well, why haven't you called me yet? It's like. I, it, yeah, you're right. He even got up early, extra early for us in Seattle, and so it's supposed to be 9.30. So better late than never. Uh, good to hear your voice. Season yeah. is uh, finally upon us. Let me ask you a, a coaching question. Given the, uh, before we get into sort of your views on some of the teams, especially uh, I want to break down NFC North, but you've been in a position where you have a preseason, and part of your job as a head coach and your assistance is to evaluate what you have, right, and what you think you have, and to, and and to develop something. Um, in your opinion, not having preseason games, as much as we complain about them, fans do because obviously the starters don't play that much. Not having preseason games, do you think it makes it harder for a coach and his staff to evaluate exactly what they have, or do you think that's overrated as long as you're doing the usual practices? No, I do. I, I, I do. I absolutely think it's going to be uh, a deterrent in especially the younger guys, the, the bubble guys, or, you know, those guys like Mike Tice who came to Seattle in 1981 as a college quarterback free agent, uh, had a lot of practices, a lot of preseason games, was able to show a glimmer of hope, and I made the roster. Some of those players you know, you're going to have a hard time evaluating. Now, what what the NFL did, though, is they, they put the practice squad to 16 players, right. and it gives them an opportunity for two things, I think. Um, they gives them an opportunity to keep some of those players that maybe are bubble players and see how they develop in the first several you know weeks of the season. It, it also gives them the opportunity, if they do have some type of uh, spread of the virus, to have extra players to go to is a pool, um, which that's all going to be interesting, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that this morning sure. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that, because I think that that's logical. That indeed uh, makes some sense for sure. Um, the Vikings are coming right out of the gate with Green Bay. I want to stay. I want to start in the in the division, and I want to start with the uh, the move the Vikings made uh, last week. Which of course got a lot of attention, rightly so. Uh, Ngakwe becomes available. It's clear Jacksonville is not going to get a number one. I think that's what they were holding out for. They ultimately decide we're not going to get a one. Let's get the next best thing. Vikings give them a two and a conditional five that I think could end up a three as well. Uh, what did you think of that move from the Vikings' perspective? Well, I think two things. I think it's a tremendous move as far as bringing in another uh, pass rusher athlete to match up with Daniil Hunter, who I think is a rising star, if not already a star. And now you have a guy that, you know, if they're planned, the offensive plan is to, you know, not let Daniil Hunter beat us. You have a guy that can win 
Yannick can win those one-on-one battles with those offensive linemen. So I think it's a great move. And also, you know, you got to have your hats off uh, to Riley for uh, taking that uh, pay cut and, uh, well, not so much pay cut, but moving the money around yeah. so they can have uh, cap space to be able to operate as a, as an elite team. And I, I think uh, my hat's off to him as well. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because the first day the word was that Reef was saying goodbye to teammates that he was not all that interested in, in taking the cut. But I do think part of the advantage the Vikings had in waiting as long as it, this happening so close to the season, was it probably effectively limited what realistically Reef was going to have a chance at getting somewhere else? And in the end, my guess is, Mike, he looked around and said, all right, I know the system here, I know the people, I know the COVID you know, uh, protocol, all that kind of good stuff. Um, where am I going to land necessarily and have a chance to, 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 to put it together as quick? I think that in a way, in an odd way, Work to the Vikings' advantage that it the the acquisition was made when it was with Ngakwe, and they they then went to Reef as late as they did. Yeah, I thought it was a great move by the by the organization, and and also, like I said, it's just a great move by Riley. Where is he going to go? He's you know 2012 draft pick. He's been around a while. He's not on the upside. He's on the right. you know the downside. He's he's in a program where. You know, he doesn't have to go in there, and he's probably a right tackle. I've said that from day one. That's true. I've said that when I graded him coming out in 12. Is You know, he's with a program where he's not going to have to hang on and and one-on-one as a left tackle, pass rush, you know, 20-something times a game. They they do a nice job, Rick Dennison and Coops. Their their format, their program, their system – is is made for a guy like Riley to have some success as a left tackle, even though I said, like I said, since day one, uh, he, he's playing out of position. Well, it's interesting you say that because you're you're a great offensive line mind, and I will still argue that the biggest question with this team, and it's been like this for a while, has been offensive line. I mean, um, they a good example is if if they'd had you know when it appeared Reef was probably gone. They were going to move O'Neal over. Um, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you already have, you're moving your left guard to, your, to right guard. Your center did not have a great season this last year. The, then you were going to need to start a guy at right tackle um, who had, who had had no starts in, as an NFL player. My point is, I still think that's the key story going into this season for the Vikings is whether they can settle on an offensive line. That can you know make everything else work. What, what do you think? Uh, I did a piece in uh, Pioneer Press a couple of weeks ago, and I, I'll say the same thing I said at this same point last year. The test for the Vikings' offensive line is not going to be how they run the football. It's not going to be how Kubiak moves the pocket with the quarterback. It's going to be if they get behind and they have to throw the football. Can this offensive line? That's not built for it. Can this offensive line hold up in a drop-back passing game? And last year, I questioned that. It uh, unfortunately showed true in some areas in some games. And this year, I think it's going to be the same exact test. Hey, maybe they don't get behind in many games. Right. You know, amen, amen, hallelujah. They have a great defense. Uh, but... Uh, reality is reality. You're going to get behind some. So we'll see how that plays out. I think that's fair. I think that's a, that's a that's a good evaluation of it, and it makes some sense. And I mean, if you go back again, 
look, they had a very nice playoff victory against the uh, against the Saints. We'll all agree on the road. Excellent. Um, but then you know you go up a, a step in class against San Francisco, and what did that game indicate? Um, you got beat at the line of scrimmage. You got beat at line line of scrimmage really badly uh, because San Francisco is not only stout on the defensive line, they're also stout on the off both lines, I guess you could say. But the uh, the Niners' defensive line kind of beat up that offense, and I'm not even late in the season, Mike. The game against Green Bay here um, that was a mismatch. The offensive line did not hold up very effectively as uh, as well. And do do you believe? You know, you know the people around here. I mean, they're smart. They've made a lot of good moves. But is there a reason? It just seems as if they have, in the last five to ten years, been able to be more creative and aggressive on the on the defensive side, especially the defensive line, than the offensive line. I keep waiting for what I classify as a couple of pedigree guys, you know. And you can speak to this because I'm sure you'd say, well, sometimes the best linemen aren't pedigree guys. They're guys you develop. But it, it probably, like at any other position, it, 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 it don't hurt to have blue-chip talent on the offensive line, correct? Well, you look at the 49ers. They're built with a lot, a lot of number ones on both sides of football. And uh, when you take those number ones and you get those elite players, those guys that are supposed to step in and start day number one, you can build a football team around that. Now, hey, the, the jury's still out on Garoppolo. Garoppolo. Can he win the big game? Can right. he make the throws? But they have the foundation, if you will, to succeed uh, over and over and over again and for a number of years as as those number one picks on both sides of the football, uh, you know, mature, develop, and, uh, you know, you're going to lose one here and there. They're going to, some of them get a little long in the tooth. You see that happen a little bit with Kansas City up front. But, uh, I think, I think these, the Vikings have done a great job in putting their team together. They have a defensive minded head coach. Uh, they're going to play defensive minded football. They're going to run it. They're going to play action. They're going to move the pocket. They're going to protect the quarterback as best they can. But you still come down to in an elite game, Against an elite defense that can get after the quarterback, and you and they take away the run, are you going to be able to hold up and throw that ball when they're collapsing the pocket? Mike Tice with us on the fan. We're chatting about the start of the uh, 2020 season. Vikings will open a week from today against the Green Bay Packers. Um, let's talk a little bit about Cousins. Um, we have talked about him before. One of the th- interesting things he's brought up this year, although he brought it up again last year, is a desire. Uh, to make more "quote unquote" off schedule plays and perhaps to even run a little bit more, even though he's obviously not a great runner, just mix it in every once in a while as a bit of a weapon. I am a little skeptical that you can stop being what you are uh, at this late date. That you kind of are what you are in that regard. But what what do you think? Is that can that be coached into somebody? Can that be added to the repertoire? Is that not very realistic um, at this late date? Well, you have Derek Carr out in uh, Oakland, and I know that they're wishing, uh, excuse me, uh, Las Vegas. You mm-hmm. have Derek Carr out in Las Vegas, and I know that organization is hoping for the same thing from Derek. They were hoping for him for it last year, and, and they're looking for more off, you know, schedule plays where he gets out of the pocket. Uh, you know, John Elway-ish moves over, slides over, and makes those big throws down the field. Um, I know there's some hope in Las Vegas that, that they can get that with Derek Carr. You can only do so many drills. And, you know, guys have to have a feel for it, a knack for it. 
Um, I'm sure they're working hard on it with the Vikings. If that's something that the quarterback brought up, it's obviously on the tip of his tongue and on the tip of the staff's tongue, and they want to see that happen. They feel like they can get more explosive down the field if they can get those type of plays, those off-schedule plays you know, from the QB position. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's I think, going to be a key question as well. Uh, they're building this thing offensively still, I think, around Dalvin Cook, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get the contract extension in. On the other hand, he's got really very little leverage because if he wants a big deal down the road, he's going to have to probably play. Um, w- w- give me your evaluation of him and, and the in your mind, the importance of him staying healthier this year because that, of course, has been the one tough thing for him. He gets banged up. He gets nicked up. Maybe it's the style of running back that he is because he's he's a, he's a hard runner, even though he's got some wiggle to him. Um, what are your what's your evaluation of Cook at this point and how important he is to stay on the field? Well, he's a tremendously explosive, not only in the rushing game but in the screen game. And Kenny Pole and that staff, the running back coach, have done a great job with the screen game. But you hit the nail on the head. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to he's got to do a whole season. You know, he's got to be able to stay on the field. And, uh, you know, the best ability is availability. And he has to be available, especially, you know, leading up to a big game and all of a sudden he's not there. That really hurts the organization. The uh, the the Packers are the opponent in the opening game. You know about the secondary. It's a remade. We're talking about cornerbacks, at least. Safety, great stability, obviously. But corner, remade. Uh, the kids they brought in, the draft picks, uh, people like a lot, and they seem. We had Zimmer on a couple of weeks ago, and I, I mean, he sounded almost, almost cocky about how well he thinks they've already integrated themselves. He doesn't seem to have much fear. But you've been around the game a while. I mean, is it realistic to expect that those guys, the Danslers of the world, can walk in and be a factor week one? against Aaron Rodgers, even if Aaron Rodgers might not be quite the guy he once was? Well, first of all, pass pass defense equals rush plus coverage. And so uh, I think we've got the Vikings have, uh, are going to have a tremendous pass rush. You know, Andre Patterson is one of the best defensive line coaches in the league, a dear friend of mine. And and I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what other things Zim does uh, to get pressure on the quarterback to protect those young DBs. On the other, on the flip side of it, I haven't seen many. Well, I didn't see many big roster moves by the Packers, and in almost in an arrogant way, felt like because you know they went what thirteen and three that they didn't need to make any changes. I, I think the Packers are a little bit light at the wide receiver position mm-hmm. and, and, and the position of making explosive plays in the passing game. That's just my opinion. Well, no, and I've heard that from a couple other people I respect, and, and I think that's going to, that's, it's, it's an interesting observation, and I think we'll agree. We all know how good Rodgers is. He's obviously a first ballot Hall of Fame QB, but he's not quite, I don't think, the player he once was, which would indicate, that now he may not be able to elevate everybody, that he might actually need more talent around him. Every, and a lot of things went well last year. They ran really effectively last year as well. But that's the interesting rub on Green Bay. Did they do enough to give Rodgers the best chance to approximate what he's been in the past? 
Well, they're counting on that defense. They did a great job on defense last year. They're counting on that defense to take another step. But like we, we just alluded to, offensively, I don't know if the explosiveness is there. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. I like the Vikings' chances in that first in that first week matchup. Uh, what about the uh, the two other teams? They're generally called the other teams. The, uh, the, the 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 Bears are not that far removed from a really good uh, run, but they uh, took a step back last year. I know there's a lot of people who are picking the Lions to end up ahead of the Vi- of the uh, Bears. What do you think of the the the, the Bears, the Lions? Any significant threat from either of those teams, or do you still view them as at the back end of the division? Well, well, two two things jump out at me, uh, one with each team, and the Bears and the Lions. And here's the Bears with an offensive-minded head coach, and they go out, they they bring in Nick Foles, uh, obviously, and, and Trubisky is not the answer, as I think we all know. But then they change offensive coordinators. They bring in Bill Lazor, and and I'm sitting here going, okay, now I got an offensive minded head coach, but now I'm going to bring in another coordinator. Which one? It's almost like, okay, maybe it's not the quarterback, maybe it's the coordinator. I mean, mm. it's, it seems like they're the lost there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the Lions do just the same damn thing. They got a defensive minded head coach, and and then they uh, go ahead and get a new DC and Corey Unlin, who I worked with at uh, at the Jaguars, great, real good coach, real good young coach. But that to me is like okay, so you're a defensive minded head coach. You you're a guru from New England. You know you know everything. You got all the answers. But what what happened all of a sudden? So I'm not real high on, on the. I mean the Bears have a lot of talent on defense. They get the uh, Hicks back in the inside. Yeah. Uh, the big guy, and so that, that Akeem is not his name. That's going to be a big move for them because that really hurt them last big year. Time. But offensively, again the Bears. I'm not seeing it. Um, Detroit, I don't know. It's, to me, it's always Detroit. I never lost a game against Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's a great when you when you coach in the same division. It's a great way to pad your record, right? You, you can count on the Detroit oh, Lions. It's a beautiful thing, you know. It's it's it, well, and just, they all count. You just yeah, you sit there and mean you go, okay, there's a deuce, <laughs> and so you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very helpful. Is what it is. Uh, so you 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 see it as a two horse race, and it sounds like. You like the Vikings? Are you objective enough on this? Is this a is this a homer pick, or is it on the basis of what you see? No, no, I do. I do like the Vikings. I do think the Vikings uh, uh, hold the, uh, the the trump card, the ace in the hole, and I think they have experience. I think the other thing is I think the Vikings have a better coaching staff, and, and the thing that I'm seeing around the National Football League since my retirement is there's a lot of bad coaching going on. And I'm not talking about clock management and this and that. Yeah. Now they make it easy. You don't have to throw the flag now. They review every play. I wish they did that crap when I was there. <laughs> you know, you had to make And then you say, oh, you should have threw the flag. Yeah. All right, mother. You know, yeah. right, asshole. I should have threw the flag. But you know what the heck? You know, but nowadays they make it easier and easier uh, and easier and easier. You know, it's easy to do it. But I'm seeing a lot of bad technique. You know, okay. yeah. and, and that's and that's worrisome to me that I'm seeing all this bad technique out there. And then, you know, they're changing coaches uh, on staffs around the league. Like, you know, you're changing your underwear. It's like, all right, this ain't working. Let's change this guy. All right, let's this ain't. You know, there's some bad coaching out there, and hopefully that gets better. And I don't know what the reason for it is, but it's out there. Believe me. 
And, and I think part of that is you see more of these young college coaches come into the league. And in college, they don't have the time to spend. Uh, they, they're trying to get their system in. Yeah. They use the same system year to year, and they don't have a lot of time because of the requirements of time for the students in class to, to utilize for all the technique work that's needed. Now, that's been told to me by college coaches. So now they come into the NFL, they're not used to, you know, doing technique, technique, technique. And, and I'm seeing a lot of bad technique, not only on offense, on defense. And so, and of course, I'm always looking at the front. So I'm looking at, you know, O-line play. I'm looking at running backs picking up blitz. I'm looking at D-line play. I'm looking at linebackers. And so fitting, if they're fitting in the right hole. So, uh, I'm just—it's tough. It's not—it's not good right now. Now you miss those preseason games that you were talking about, Danny Boy. Yeah. And now, now you got some issues. I think there's going to be a lot of sloppy play early in the season. I think there's going to be some injuries early in the season, and and we'll see how it sustains. And and God forbid there's an outbreak on some team. And it's not like the St. Louis Cardinals who had an outbreak, the yeah. baseball team, and they were able to play what ten. Only reason I know that is my son and daughter are huge Cardinal fans. They live in St. Louis. Mm. They played ten. Of eleven games, they they play ten of eleven uh, games. They play double headers, right. double headers because they had to cancel, um, and that might not be the right number. But they play the whole bunch, bunch. of yep. double headers. You can't play double headers in the NFL. No, that's not what so, that would be dangerous. So what's going to happen? Tell me what's going to happen if there's an outbreak on the team and they have to quarantine, they got to shut down. It's going to be very interesting to see how this thing progresses. I'm glad you got to that because I was going to ask you about it. Let me ask you a, a different question that's not necessarily COVID-related, but it, it kind of is, I guess. We've had no preseason football. We talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the discussion. But what kind? What quality? I mean, the, I think a lot of people are assuming that the start of the season, the first month of the season, um, is going to be almost have to be sloppier because the preparation has been so different and we're just going to have to live with it. Do you agree with that necessarily? Or what, what do you think the quality of play is going to be like this September compared to what it might be on an average September? Well, I don't think you can see the scoring early or 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 uh, the great offensive drives that are sustained over you know twelve to fourteen play drives. I think I think the defensive minded teams are going to have a a leg up, and uh, because it's a lot easier to say you know go to football than it is to you know scheme a trap or scheme a, a big play action with a pulling guard and then having to back block another offensive player to fill the hole when you pull that guard. I think all those timing things are going to suffer, in my opinion. I also, you know, feel like uh, you don't have that, ba- you know, that bottom under you. You know, I'm a big horse guy, and, you know, the horses that win, like Authentic wins the Kentucky Derby because Baffert does a great job of getting the bottom on this horse. He's working at six furlings. He's working at a mile, and the horse could get the mile and a quarter. Well, you don't have those preseason games. You don't have those scrimmages against other teams, and now all of a sudden you're going to play a game and a bunch of games, it's going to be tough on the athletes and uh, to recover. And I think you'll see some soft tissue injuries. God forbid, I hopefully there's not any uh, significant injuries to any players or any athletes. But I think that's what you're going to see. And I, I think the teams that have the new head coaches, i.e. the Washington football team or whatever they're called now, uh, they're going to have some problems as well. Cleveland Browns. You got a new head coach, and you have very limited time with the players. Remember, there was no off season. The off season was yeah. done on Zoom, you know, 
And so it's it's going to be very interesting. I do think the play, uh, Danny Boy, is going to be sloppy early on. Uh, good overview, outstanding. By the way, your uh, your uh, Twitter handle is odds in as in the letter N ends pod. That's odds and ends with Mike Tice. Hardly recommend people get over to that from time to time, and we'll uh, definitely try to stay in touch, and we'll try to do it on time with the right phone number. Uh, it'll be seamless because for us, this is also, I guess, preseason. You know, the season hasn't started, so we're kind of working out the kinks as well. Correct. Yes, and and let me say this one thing. Uh, we were able to have, even with the COVID, our celebrity golf event in Seattle, the first one yes. I did. Steve, Steve Large and a number of my former teammates came and helped me out. We raised a bunch of money. We were able to send $5,000 to Operation Warm. It's a program that the Minneapolis Fire Department does to uh, give out winter coats to underprivileged kids in the, in the, tri- in the cities and and I'm pretty uh, in the Twin Cities, and I'm pretty excited about that. You should be proud of that. I, in fact, I think I retweeted about that at the time. Outstanding. Well, you never forget your roots, right? You never forget. You may be in Seattle now, but you've not forgot. You will never forget Minnesota. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's real easy not to forget Minnesota when your high school colors were purple and gold and, and yeah. the Vikings colors were purple and gold. <laughs> very, very good point. Stay. Oh, you like the Vikings? No, that's Central Ice Bikes. <laughs> oh, you like Central Ice Bikes? No, that's the Vikings. Right. <laughs> Stay healthy. You, Stay good. All we'll right. be in touch. Thanks, Mike. All right, bro. Be Mike good. Tice helping us out to preview the National Football League season, which will officially start Thursday for the Vikings. Of course, it'll start a week. Our radio station. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Second hour of sermons starting a bit uh, behind schedule because we had such uh, bizarre phone issues with Mike Tice, whose number that he kept insisting was the number to call him was simply not accepting calls. It was not working. He finally acknowledged that when he figured it out. He didn't want to call the hotline, but better late than never. And we had a good conversation with him. If you want to get in on the anything that he had to say regarding your Minnesota Vikings, he clearly is dismissing the back end of the division the Lions and the Bears, and saying it's a two-horse race, and he sounded almost dismissive of the Packers as well. A little bit of arrogance, he said, about the uh, either unwillingness or stubbornness about going out and adding uh, better receivers, giving more playmakers to Aaron Rodgers as well. Vikings, of course, open against the Packers on Sunday. I believe the Vikings open against the Lions, I should say the Bears open against the Lions in Detroit. And they will be matched up against Adrian Peterson. Peterson is back in the division, according to at least a couple of media reports, after being cut surprisingly by the Washington football team. Um, I speculated on whether the Bears might sniff that Peterson didn't really fit their style of play, but they might be desperate enough with some injuries to throw him in there early. Uh, the Lions beat him to the punch, apparently. 
And I'm not sure if they need him, but they're uh, they're at least grabbing him, taking a look at him. So Peterson is expected to join the Lions, who open, I believe, at home against the uh, the Bears. That's another noon game on uh, on Sunday. So uh, we we will see AP back in the division. I say we will. Uh, I guess it's all it's possible it might not work out there, but um, the Lions are at least going to give him a look. Bradshaw and Brian inbox. Is open if you'd like to uh, offer up a reaction to anything we've gotten into so far today via Booth, B O O T H, at KFAN.com as well. A lot of uh, twins talk early. A six game losing streak has been followed by what is now a five game winning streak. Twins have a couple more games against the uh, Tigers today and tomorrow before uh, that long extended series is indeed over um if you're an nba fan in this town is the jimmy butler ascension particularly painful or do you write it off even it kind of bothers me and i really? have no stake in the well the the interesting thing i mean butler has the heat up three games to none if you've kind of not been paying attention to the nba bubble over the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks are as good as gone. No one's come back from 3 And the Greek freak is apparently questionable at best, or even if he plays, he's not believed to be 100%. And it doesn't appear that the Heat are the kind of team that is going to go easy on them, that they probably will go right. I think game four is today, either today or tonight. And um, Butler has been the story for the Heat. Now, it probably is oversimplifying the story in that the Heat represent to me a great example of what team balance, understanding how to balance your roster, how to um, bring together not necessarily great parts, but good parts, because they're also the right parts, can lead you to uh, a pretty significant success. And they have a legitimate shot, probably more than a legitimate shot at this point. They'll probably end up being favored at this point to um, come out of the East. And there is not any question that Butler is the straw that is stirring the drink. He scored 40 in the first game. He had a miscue late in Game 2 that contributed to the Bucks having a chance to get back in it, but ultimately he had a couple of free throws to win it, and he was uh, electric in the fourth quarter of Game Three. I believe he alone outscored the Bucks in the fourth quarter, seventeen to thirteen, and uh, he also uh, had a couple of very nice passes. Um, the sort of classic all-around Jimmy Butler game. So I'll ask the question again about how frustrated should people be at Butler's success and how much of a failure was it that the Wolves couldn't find a way to accommodate him. Um, I think there's maddeningly more to that story as horrific as it is to watch what he's doing. I said Friday, and uh, I'll say again, that the issue, there. I don't think there was a way to keep Jimmy Butler. I guess the one way you might have been able to keep Jimmy Butler is if you'd have been willing to trade away not just Andrew Wiggins, but also Carl Anthony Towns. And I'll continue to say, I don't think there are five, I doubt there are even five general managers in, in basketball who would have done that based on age, 
based on Butler's knees, based on lots of other things. Um, it would have taken bigger cojones than I think anybody's ever had. There may not have been a way to do it, but what we need to get into when we come back here is that Butler, whether it comes in the in the form of Jimmy Butler himself or somebody else, what Butler has is still most assuredly what this team must add if they're going to have any chance to be taken seriously sometime down the road. I'll, get, I'll give you a couple other fascinating nuggets about the Miami Heat as well that play perfectly into what the Wolves have to get much, much. On the fan. Again, that um, there's more Vikings previewing in me, and we will do that probably the last segment of the program because it is now officially Packers week, a week from today, Vikings hosting Green Bay. But I want to follow up on the Butler discussion. And really, uh, it's about more than Butler. It's about team building. And I'm not anointing Miami, the Miami Heat, as the next dynasty, NBA dynasty. They haven't even made it to the NBA Finals yet. I like their chances to at least be in the mix, given the fact that they've got the one seed on the ropes in historic fashion. Um, It does appear that the matchup hasn't been very good. In fact, Miami is 5-1 and one against the Bucks, including the regular season. No other Eastern Conference team had beaten the Bucks more than once. But I want to read you a quote from the Greek freak. And I want Wolves fans to pay attention to this quote. And I want Gerson Rosas to listen to this quote. And I want Carl Anthony Towns, an extremely talented, still not even in his prime, offensive player, to read this quote. I want the guy that he wants to go to battle with at guard, D'Angelo Russell, to read this quote from the Greek freak on the Bucks, or I should say on the Heat. You know they're going to play hard. They play hard for 48 minutes. We need to be able to match that. You cannot play hard for 36. You, you can't play hard for 24. You have to play hard for 48 minutes to beat a team like that. Sounds like stating the obvious, sounds like a cliche, but it has it's what Miami has indeed fashioned. Largely with balance. Six players averaging double digit points in the playoffs. Butler leading the way, twenty three point one per game, uh shooting almost forty eight percent from the floor. He's shooting fifty percent on threes, but they got a number of other Really fascinating pieces. I also want Rosas and company to hear this. Miami has posted the fourth best defensive rating in the playoffs, allowing 105.4 points per 100 possessions. While Miami's defense has been very good throughout the postseason, it's been elite in the fourth, averaging opponents to 21.9 points 
on 36.5% shooting from the field and 31% shooting on threes. Those are all elite defensive numbers. They were not. I think their rating, defensive rating during the season was um, not even top 10. I think they were like middle, they were like 12th. So it was not off the charts. It was at least in the ballpark. We're not even in the ballpark defensively. We would, we would kill for 12th. And I understand that to a certain extent you have to play to the personality of your team, but that's the danger is that as abundantly talented as Russell and Towns are, and this was my biggest issue, you know, with the Butler excitement from the beginning, um, they're both offensive players. And sooner or later, you have to add at least one, probably several, but at least one two-way player. That's what Butler represented. That's why some of us were excited when that move was made and endorsed the move, even giving up what the Wolves had to give up. The problem was, in the end, the gamble didn't work out in large measure because I don't know that there was a way to satisfy Butler other than trading cap which I just don't think very many GMs would do. Maybe they would now on the basis of what, how good Miami looks at this minute, but you can't make very many moves that way. And so it was almost as if the Wolves were boxed in by the people they'd already acquired previously. And that's I know why Tibbs desperately wanted to make the move. He thought Butler could be that bridge player, and he was hoping that Butler would then get into the mode of challenging those other players. And ultimately, he didn't want to do that. And let's remember, he wanted to go to Philadelphia, and he was excited about Philadelphia until he wasn't excited about Philadelphia, too. That's the one factor with Jimmy that you cannot leave out. He is capable of blowing everything up. In fact, there were a couple of Miami players who even said, well, we were kind of curious where we're going to get here. How big of a jackass was he? Was he going to blow this whole thing up? In this case, it's been a perfect meld. And part of the reason it's been a perfect blend is that he's got players who I think they put other players who are like-minded to him. They've got a number of legitimate defensive players on this team. And it's not the only way to win, but it's an important part of whatever team's winning formula. The defense for the Wolves will have to be better. So I'm not going to sit here and say that when Jimmy Butler shows up at practice and torches everything, there was any way around the idea that you were going to have to trade him. I don't know that at that point there was anything left other than going to him and saying, we're going to trade Wiggins and Towns and try to build around you. But the fact of the matter is, Butler needs also, Butler is not a superstar player in that, in the, I'd say the, the, the Michael Jordan, even you could say Greek freak sense. He's a player who still needs certain pieces around him. And ultimately, I don't know, there wasn't any choice at that point. He was not going to be happy here. Doesn't change the fact that what Butler represented still is needed here. Doesn't have to be him, and it's not going to be him, obviously, at this point. But you still have to add committed two-way players. 
And Towns and Russell are committed one-way players. And they may say there've been there's been talk about hey we're ready to you know we we, we got to make sacrifices and we understand that's how we have to take the next step and they may mean it but it's not going to matter until we actually see it on uh, on the court on a regular basis and what you run into is whether you have two guys who are who are too much alike in that regard so who becomes the piece who sort of is the glue that kind of sort of brings everything together beyond what those two can give you offensively. A couple of people have mentioned to me email via email Oladipo. That Oladipo might be available. I gotta do a deep dive on Oladipo post injury. I, I don't know is he is he gonna be is he the same player that he was before he got hurt? Um I will do my due diligence on that this week. Because there are rumors that he might end up being available. He does guard, or historically he has guarded. He could fit, because you still need, if if Anthony's going to be really mainly a a scoring point guard, you do need, obviously, another wing player. That is uh, abundantly clear, definitely the way this game is played. Even if you have an inside player who can play all over the court, he's still not a guard or forward in the class, a small forward in the classic sense. Ain't going to put the ball on the floor a lot. Um, you know, with two minutes to go in the game, out on the wing and drive to the basket. That's not really what he's going to do. So you got to have another player who can who can do those sorts of things. Um, but I just don't know. I want to know more about his health, about what his condition is at this point, and what how people feel about what he's going to be if he can be the same player that he seemed to be on track to become as uh, as well. So I don't think you should use the Butler story to lament. Um, that uh, there was was there some other way out of that box? I'm not sure there was another way out of that box then. Um, but the it's, you you should be lamenting Butler in that he's still the kind of player you got to find, and they're hard to find. Who can do things on both ends and who are who's committed to yeah, you could say being a little jackassian with teammates from time to time, about demanding from them a certain level. I, I, I mentioned a few times, there were a few quotes from even D'Angelo short times since he got here, uh, and played some that I just shook my head, and um, I, I they just didn't sound like the things I want to hear. I, I, I think the biggest trap that the Wolves have and that Rosas has is that he's got two players who've received a lot of acclaim and have gotten a lot of attention as stars who really aren't there yet when it comes to a winning championship foundation. They really haven't accomplished all that much in that regard. Not all their fault, because it's not all their fault in any way, shape, or form. But the fact is, I still feel like because they're the only two really good players here, um, and they've had numbers, they're going to be treated like that, anointed before their time. That's what I think he's got to get them. They've got to get, somebody even said this the other day, that they got to get over themselves. That's what you have to do at some point, and uh, hopefully soon. And that means, again, I don't even know if Russell has it in him. I don't know if he can be a great defensive player. I don't think Towns can either which is why I still think you got to get the right people around them. But you have to have a better mindset than they have. And it's, frankly, 
the Jimmy Butler mindset, maybe without the Jimmy Butler personality, because this mix wasn't going to work here. That's very, very clear. But somebody who can do the basketball things at the least that he can do and can be committed to the notion that we got a guard. We're, we're, we can get all excited about the fancy offensive plays we can make, but we have to guard, and we have to guard early, and we have to guard often. And there's not any question that if you talk to Heat players, and again, this is everything's looking good right now, I'll grant, but at this point what you're hearing a lot of is this is the guy who's kind of, to a certain extent, raised us up. And the Heat had already put together some other underrated players from a talent standpoint. So it's a it's the perfect mix. But they clearly identified Butler as a guy who can give them that something little extra. And that's that little extra that we still don't have. We don't have anything like that at all, and we ain't going anywhere until we get it. The Fan. Love and a I guess what we'll never know, the organization was not going to trade Cat. They did ultimately trade Wiggins. I guess the question on the table is if they'd gone to, to, to Buckets and said, we're going to work quietly behind the scenes, we're ready to make the move on uh, on Wig, would that have been enough? I'm not sure because there was still a financial component of this that Butler was going to have to wait a little bit to get his... Uh, his biggest payoff, I believe. That's something we'll maybe review with Johnny Athletic, who I'm guessing will probably move to Tuesday because tomorrow is Labor Day, and uh, Labor Day will be a best-of day on the Bumper to Bumper show. So it's a subject um, we can revisit as painful as it might be and as silly as it is because it doesn't it doesn't change anything. Uh, the maddening part is I don't know if there was any way out of the box, and yet it still left this, left this team with this gaping, obvious hole. Maybe Rosas is going to find another way to, to fill it. Because um, I don't think we're going to be able to get Jimmy Butler back. I think that's unlikely, even for the number one pick at this point. I'm guessing that wouldn't work. Sunday Sermons is the name of the uh, program. Cake show coming up at the top of the hour. A lot of good football talk with Mike Tice on uh, previewing the season. His belief in um, this being a two-horse race in the, at best, in the NFC North. And um, I, I can't help but be left with a belief that the Vikings are, you know, we have this notion that the Vikings are not a very lucky team. We never get any breaks. The other team, you know, like the Bears, always has the horseshoe. In one way, I think we've already had the horseshoe in our back pocket, and I don't even think we necessarily deserved it. We are extremely, the Vikings are extremely lucky that Riley Reef said yes. And I never thought I'd say that because, as Tice reminds us, Reef is past his prime. He is more of a right tackle. If you have a really good offensive line, he's your right tackle. He is not your left tackle. So I don't want to build him up too much. But the fact of the matter is, if if Reef had followed through with the threat when he was saying goodbye to team teammates and found some other place to land, even if he took an incredible cut 
even in bigger cut and pay, just said, I, I, but I'm out. I, I don't want to take the money from here anymore. This team would have been in a mess right before the start of the season. They got bailed out by Riley Reeve. Think about, again, I, we talked about it some, but I, the more I think about it, the notion that you're going to rearrange your tackle position less than two weeks before the season, you're going to move one tackle over, probably, from right, from, le- from right to left, and then you're going to put in a new tackle probably without any uh, starting experience. When you already have suspect issues at both guard positions and a center coming off less than greatness, it's mind-blowing, really, if you think about it. If that had played out that way, what how risky that would have been. And so to that extent, Reef bailed him out because he at least gave them the stability of a guy they knew and that means you didn't have to make any other kind of tackle changes at that point. And you have some sort of, I guess you could say, um, continuity there. It, it could have been, um, it could have been really, really bad uh, starting a season. Borderline neglect at that point, if that's what you, and I have felt over the years that that's the one legitimate uh, criticism of Spielman that he has at times all but neglected the offensive line when it comes to creativity, aggressiveness, finding ways to get people in that you just didn't think we could get in. We do that on defense all the time, or have, most recently with Ngakwe. But um, Reef, to that extent, saved them from themselves and put them, I think, in even even in a less stable position. There's still questions about this line, regardless, especially at the guard spots. But Imagine how much more uh, potentially dangerous it could have been. Along the offensive line, one of the two most important units in football, your, your, your offensive line. And we all know the other is obviously the defensive line, and we continue to do a good job to try to fix that. Although, I think, one of the things we're going to talk about this week is whether the interior of this defensive line might be a bit, shall we say, vulnerable, given the way this thing has played out. Uh, Speaking of defensive line, our regular guest, we think weekly during the season, as long as it goes, will be Andre Patterson. We uh, don't know what day that's going to be yet. I think the first appearance will be the week after the opener. But each year we've had, going all the way back to the years when we had Zimmer as the regular, We've had players who've been regular or semi-regular. Last year was Dalvin Cook. Uh, this year, it appears we're all set to a chat weekly with Andre Patterson. We had a really good conversation with him post-George Floyd. And um, we'll talk plenty of football and other things with him as this thing uh, plays out as well because he's got some new toys to play with along the defensive line. But he also has some challenges, one could say on the interior part of uh, of that line as well. Booth at KFAN.com. Is this division the Vikings to lose? Or do you share my concern along the offensive line? It may still be that the, the Vikings are the best team in the division. It's a little bit like the Twins, though. I, I don't want us just to be competing for division titles. I want us to, because uh, we've done that. A lot under Zim. The idea is I want us to be in the best position to make a run. To give us ourselves an honest chance to make a run, and that's still my concern about uh, 
the offensive line. I thought Ty summarized it nicely. He understands the offensive philosophy here. He understands that they're building it around Dalvin Cook, misdirection stuff, boot, booting stuff, uh, you know, moving the, the quarterback away from pressure. But he also added that sooner or later against the best defenses, you're going to have to make a few plays in the passing game when you don't want to, when you're when you need to. And the question there is, at that point, will the line hold up for you? Will Cousins make those plays? That's where I think the story can still indeed be uh, be told. Um, Green Bay, the opponent Sunday, a week from today, they're an interesting team. They had a very nice year last year. Ultimately, they got pounded and dominated the same way we did against the 49ers. They did it a week later. Have they done enough to help Rodgers rediscover being Aaron Rodgers that we know and fear? Not sure that they have. As Tice mentioned, they're counting on a an emerging defense that really was a large part of their story last year. Maybe that's what they can become more of. They ran the ball well. But have they added enough offensive weaponry at a point where I don't think you can, you know, there was a time it's it it's almost seemed as if you could you could just find two wide receivers uh, virtually off the streets and Rodgers would elevate them. I I don't think Rodgers is at that place any longer where you can automatically believe that he's going to do that. Now, maybe uh, their big ploy was they draft the kid quarterback, they move up to get him, and one of the theories is they're going to motivate A-Rodge that way. He's angry now. And an angry A-Rodge is a dangerous A-Rodge. guess it's possible. I think it's kind of stupid to me if that's the direction that you would feel like that's how you motivate your your. Hall of Fame quarterback, but we'll see if that indeed plays out. The Bears maybe shocked the world by announcing Mitch Trubisky is going to be their starter in their opener against the Lions. And I don't think that means much of anything uh, regarding who finishes the season for them. I'll still be shocked if Foles isn't the guy. But they've got running back issues because they've got injuries. I just don't think their offense, I think their offense is still very much challenged. And Tice made it clear that he is not a Trubisky guy. He does not see what indeed, uh, that that will indeed work. Um, emailer David, was it Locke on the Vikings? Vikings knew Reef had no leverage. They knew he couldn't get paid elsewhere. That's why they did it. If Riley had any leverage, I doubt Rick would have been so aggressive. Excuse me. Another sneeze with asking him to take a pay cut. Maybe. I mean, they, they, the one thing that was, un, you could say it was unfair what they did to Reef in that waiting as long as they did made it less likely that he could get as much of a good look elsewhere. Um, and by the way, I, I, I chuckle every time these sorts of things happen because of the degree to which people just go insane when a player holds out. And they go, contract's a contract. 
And then the Vikings, two weeks, less than two weeks before the season, say to a guy, contract's not a contract. We got to make a change. We got, we got it. We got Ngakwe. Sorry. We love you, but sorry. And then we say, well, you got to do it. You, know, that's, you got to be done. I'm not ripping the Vikings for doing it. A lot of teams do it. It's, it's, it's the way of the world in the NFL. I'm just saying there's a double standard from fans on how accepted they are, how acceptable it is when a team does it compared to what a player does. All I can go with is what the people who are around this team every day say, and they say Reef was leaving, that Reef had uh, pretty much said goodbye, and maybe then reality set in, and maybe that's something that the, the Vikings knew, but what if they didn't? That'd be, that's a hell of a risk to take 13 days before a season. But all's well that ends well. They got their left tackle, not of their dreams, but at least um, better than they might otherwise have been forced to go with at either left or right tackle if they'd moved O'Neal over. It's the emotional final ish edition of uh, Cake Show coming up. Season finale. It's, that's, it's going to be some tears shed. I don't think there's any question about that. A very good lineup that will include Micheletti. I know he's got at least one other guest, maybe more. And then, as I said, best of tomorrow. Gargi's got a lot of good interviews from the last few weeks on this show or on the Bumper to Bumper show. And then we'll be back live for Packer Week starting Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day weekend. And we say a fond farewell to the great Minnesota get-together once again.